right here, as we're marking 40 years of ministry, that we're starting this particular series right here called Advance. So welcome to Advance week number one. It's a three-week series. It's quite short. For some of you, it'll be a little bit of a refresher from a year ago. For others of you, you'll be hearing this for the very, very first time. And I want to ask, if you are a part of this church in any way, shape, or form, if you've been coming for 40 years, or if today is your very first week, I want to ask you, don't miss a minute of these next three weeks, please. This is mission critical. This is what we believe, us hearing from the Lord, the Holy Spirit providing guidance and a direction and an opportunity to cast vision. And I really want to ask that you would be a part of the next three weeks. Would you please set that aside? Even next week, if you're up a tree looking to kill Bambi, I want you to follow up afterwards online and catch the message so that you don't miss a moment of it. I actually love that we're here right now because what would be worse than after 40 years of ministry, if we were all kind of just looking at each other, shrugging our shoulders and going, uh, what do we do now? That would be terrible. Uh, I don't really know. What do you think we should do? And thank the Lord, we're not in that position. We're in a position where we've actually gone to God and we believe that we've heard His direction, His leadership, His guidance and now we have some very specific kingdom work that we are excited about and that we want to be about. I'm so glad that we're not looking at each other going, man, I'm kind of getting worried that we're just becoming a dinosaur, we're just getting dated, we're becoming irrelevant, or maybe the worst of all, that we're just becoming inward focused. The moment that a church begins to become content about, hey, you're my buddy and I know you and you know me, and let's all just come together and we'll have meetings and sing songs, is the beginning of the death of a church. There must always be this outreach, this looking beyond the doors. We are perhaps the only organization that exists on the planet Earth whose purpose is not for the members of that organization, but for those who are not yet a part of, that we could bring them in and introduce them to the love of Jesus Christ. And we must maintain that in front of us. Two things you're going to need. Number one is a guidebook. If you don't have one in your hand, would you mind just reaching into the chair in front of you and grabbing one? Alma, it'll be on the chair right beside you there. And if you're online, I realize there's not a chair in front of you with a guidebook in it. Give me one second and I'll talk to you in just a moment. So that's the first thing you're going to need. And for today, you can open up to page 20, please. And you'll find a spot to take some notes. The second thing that you're going to need is a cookie. Because if it were not COVID, we probably would have cake and drinks and punch and we just hang out together and we'd spend time and we'd rub, be rubbing shoulders together and just reminiscing and thanking the Lord. But we're not really in a position to do that. And so what we have is we have the coolest little cookies and on there it says 40 years. Thankfully, the cookies are not 40 years old. They're nice and fresh. And after the service in Alma and here, you can just go out and grab one or two on your way out. If you've got kiddos, grab cookies for all the kiddos and we'll have a little. And they're all like individually wrapped and sanitized and hygiened and we spray them with bleach. No, I'm just joking. But you're going to need a cookie. So do that. Grab one of those. Now, if you're online, we have not forgotten you. Church, half of our church meets every week online. Half of the church. Who knew that would happen? But that is the case for Community Church right now. And so I have a request for every one of you that are online, both at Mount Pleasant and on Alma. This afternoon, beautiful day, between the hours of 3 and 5, Pastor Wally, myself, Pastor Aaron and Alma, some elders and staff, we will be here. And I want to invite you, if you're online, to please get in your car and just pop over. We want to see your face. We just want you to know that we love you. 
We promise we won't haul you out of the car. We won't kiss you or lick you or do anything like that too. We just want to give you a few things. One, we want to see you face to face. We want to give you a guidebook and put that in your hands. We want to give you our 40-year-old cookies. And we want to give you a kid life packet for those of you who have kiddos that has um, kind of a month's worth of there's uh, activities and crafts for kid life for, for this month in there. We'd love to get that into your hands. So today, invite you from 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock, both in Mount Pleasant and in Alma as well. Okay, Mo- a few moments of personal privilege over. Let's open up the Word of God, and today we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. Twelve months ago, something very significant happened in this local church. To the best of my knowledge, this church simply heard from the Holy Spirit. And as a result, this church responded with a wave of consistent generosity into the house of God, and my guess is more so than any other year in the last 40 years, an outpouring of great, incredible generosity. And when I say generosity, I don't mean people giving of their time or their ideas or their talents or their skills or their thoughts. I mean generosity in the hardest way that we can understand generosity, your personal finances. There has been an outpouring of giving into this local church. People who had never given before, they love God, they live for God, but they had never given before, ever, just started giving into the house of God. Praise God for that. There were people who gave maybe sometimes or kind of consistently, and they felt the Holy Spirit nudging them, and they just started giving with greater generosity. There are other people who simply saw things that they owned that they no longer needed or wanted or uh, maybe they even wanted it, but they just said, I'm just going to give this up. And they actually sold things and just brought gifts into the house of God. And I want to thank you for that kind of response to the Holy Spirit and generosity in the house of God. The question is why? To what end? And the answer is quite simple. Well, that would be God's purposes, His mission, His gospel, His goals, the advancement of His influence and His kingdom in this place. And to put it in a very brief summary, there are three legs to the stool of advance. One was the advancement of the gospel in Mount Pleasant. The second was the advancement of the gospel in Alma. And third was what we nicknamed the 418 Initiative, which comes from Luke chapter 418, which was filled with care and benevolence and an outpouring of generosity into the community. So, by way of summary, what I want to do is take a moment. Let's look at the video on the screens. There's a particularly good-looking guy uh, on this video. How do we best serve God in this place and at this time? Well, that's a question we laid before the Father. And it's a great question, one we should regularly ask. Well, last year we had the opportunity to bring the answer to that question to the entire church. And if I could sum up the answer in one word, it will be the word advance. The moving forward, never quitting, propulsion, always gaining power, advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the best leader I've ever met. He's head of the church. And we trust that he is charting our course so that you and I, the church, can actually give expression to the advance of the gospel in our generation. Church, we get to celebrate a major milestone right now. We are celebrating 40 years of ministry, 40 years of the gospel impact in these communities right here. People being saved, coming to Christ, life transformation, discipleship, 
I cannot wait to see what the Lord will do in the next 40 years. Last year, we plotted out a two-year plan of action. So right around now, we get to check the halftime score. How is Advance going? Well, thanks to the grace of God and the unbelievable leadership and generosity of this church, let me show you what's happened. We launched a campus in Alma where we are reaching hundreds of men, women, and children with the love of Jesus Christ. We resourced our staff team with key leadership positions that will propel us in the trajectory that God is leading. We poured resources into flood relief in Midland County, as well as expanding our local mission support in Isabella and Gratiot counties. We bolstered the deacon ministry with additional funds for individuals and families in crisis through the 418 initiative. We paid off almost $2 million of medical debt to families and individuals in 54 counties throughout the state of Michigan. We were able to step in quickly and efficiently to stream our services online for the very first time in church history. Praise God. Look at what the Holy Spirit is doing in this place and at this time. And to think that he's using people like you and I, flawed people, broken people, ragamuffins like us, to give a clear and powerful expression to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We continue to celebrate around 325 either individuals or families who made commitments to advance. Beyond that, we have people in our church who have simply continued to give faithfully. And then beyond that again, we have new people who have joined our church in the last 12 months, and they are pouring out their kind generosity as well. Altogether, for this two years of advance, we've committed $6.5 million. And at our current rate of giving, we're actually two months ahead of where we thought we would be right now. And all of that, when the church was also closed for about five months. So praise God. Look at what God has done last year. Unbelievable. But church, we're not done. The kingdom of God continues to advance and there is more work ahead of us. Watch what the Lord is going to do. We will be launching a 12-step ministry called Celebrate Recovery. There's a massive need for this in our community. And it's geared for those people who have hurts, hang-ups, and habits. So we will introduce scholarships for any one of our community groups in Isabella and Gratiot County to be able to provide care and support and compassion to those places where they have a specific missional focus, to those that might be far from God, those that are not part of this family that we call Community Church. We are going to provide updates and upgrades to the 40-year-old section of the Mount Pleasant campus so that space can be leveraged for ministry right now and into the future. And we will continue to make a big impact in Gratiot County for the sake of the kingdom, as well as moving towards permanency for the Alma campus in a place that we could be proud of. God is not done, and neither are you. The gospel has never been more necessary than at this time. You look at this world. You look at the confusion and the anger and the anxiety and the fear and all of the tension and angst. We know what this really is. It's a lost world in need of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Ultimately, we are taking part in a massive advance that began one afternoon on a dark hill just outside of Jerusalem. What an incredible privilege to be a part of that with Christ. 
So I want to invite you to be used by God in this place at this time for his plans and for his purposes. Community Church, I'm proud of you. Together on purpose. Praise God. I want to thank you guys for listening to the Holy Spirit. I want to thank you for your generosity. You know, if you were to ask your average person, do you want to be a generous person? I think 99% of people would say, well, yes, I would like to be a generous person. My eldest son, I remember when he was tiny, I'm looking at him right now, he, uh, we'd put something in front of him to eat, like when he was like three, you know, Brussels sprouts, green beans or something like that. And it was so funny, you'd say, you know, there, there you go, and he would push the plate away and say, so, so grown up, three, I'll eat those when I'm older. That's what he'd say. Do you want to be a generous person? Oh, yes, I do. But here's the thing. 99% of people have no plan as to how they will actually become a generous person. And it just ends up this, this idea, like, I want to be that. I, I, I genuinely have that ambition about myself to be that kind of man, that kind of woman. But there's no plan to ever make that transpire in their life. Twelve months ago, I told a true story of myself at the age of seven years of age. Uh, back in Ireland, uh, making my first Holy Communion. Really big deal. Here's a lovely picture of me. I am the smaller of the two boys. That's me and my big brother. And uh, look at that tie. I don't know how far down my shorts it went. It was, <laughs> it was quite long. And uh, glowing white. That's the glory of the Lord. Um, but it's a big deal making your first Holy Communion. And what, what I didn't know was on the day, you visit every relative that you never knew existed. I mean, that's just what you do. And so I, I, I met people that day, I'm like, I've never met you before in my life. And so you'd go to their house, and then they would uh, have a cup of tea, and it was like, pat on the head, and great job, congratulations. And then you'd go to leave, and then I got surprised, this is the best bit, this great uncle that I'd never met before would shake my hand, and secretly in the palm of his hand, he would have a nice, crisp five-pound note. And I'm looking at this like, more money than I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, who else are we going to go visit? I can do this. Let's visit all the relatives. And by the end of the day, cha-ching, I'm not joking you, I had a stash of money. Now, to this day, if you were to bump into my mom or my brother in the picture or my little sister, and they would say, you know, is there, is there anything that you could jab Alan? What would it be? And this is what they still describe me to this day. They say, well, Alan, he still has his communion money. That's what they still say. And that is an inference that I am basically a tight-fisted miser. And the reason why they say that is because it's probably fairly true. I don't like spending money. Uh, I sometimes, if it's a bigger thing, it's like an emotional problem for me to part with those monies because I'm like, surely the safer, more conservative thing to do is to keep it, to save it in case. That's just what wiring I have for whatever reason. And so I, I think the Lord has His work cut out for me when it comes to a sense of like, I've, I've done this most of my life. And I think the Holy Spirit is going, hey, Alan, I don't want this to have you. I don't want you living your life doing this all of the time. I must have, keep, buy, purchase, accumulate, hoard, and have for my use for me. At its essence, it's probably a sense of selfishness that's in me. Full disclosure. Uh, and what I'm going to be going to share with you, I would imagine, is probably not typical of a family or a person here in America. Not only am I a bit 
tight-fisted when it comes to money, but Kelly and I, we've been married for 21 years. We have never once paid a penny's interest in credit cards. American Express are looking for us all the time. We just move all the time. They can't find us. No, we don't. We, we just manage it so that we, never, we have never paid any interest to a credit card. Now, I, I realize that statement is not typical. That is not a typical family or person in the United States today. That's not how they would manage that. Our goal, as much as possible, for everything and anything, is if we need to make a purchase, our plan is to always pay cash for the thing that we need to, to buy. Now, we haven't always done that perfectly, but we've done that to a pretty, a pretty good degree. Myself and Kelly, neither of us have student loans, and we're very, very grateful for that. I began in ministry, full-time ministry, when I was 21 years of age. I didn't make a lot of money. In my second year of ministry, I think I earned maybe a few thousand dollars, not even $10,000, less than that. That was how much money I made. When I got married, Kelly and I, we bought a small trailer, and we moved into the trailer. By American standards, I don't think you would probably look at Kelly and I and say that we're wealthy. And yet, at the very beginning of our marriage, we had already pre-decided that no matter what our income was like, no matter whether it was a lot or a little, and it's, it was a little, we said, we just want to give to God. We want to be generous people. And so we just decided that we're going to tithe, we're going to give 10% of our income to God, no matter what. No matter if things are tight or not, we're giving that to God. And not only that, but that's going to be the first thing. So before we pay anything to Uncle Sam, before we put groceries on the table, we want to give 10% of our income to the Lord, and we have simply all, always done that. Now, we have a mortgage. We have a 13-year-old. We have another 13-year-old. We have a 10-year-old. We have, we have bills and groceries and pretty much normal stuff like most families would have. If you were to ask any of my kids about finances, they would probably say to you, uh, well, I have three jars. Because several years ago, I sat down with my kids, and I gave each of them three glass jars, and we put a sticker on one of the jars. The first one says, God. The second one says, save. And the third one says, spend. And if you were to ask any of my kids about finances, even at the young age where they're at, they would probably be able to say, this is the filter. God is first. And then we save. And then we spend. And, I, and of course, it's, it is okay to spend, as much as I find that difficult sometimes, and to enjoy that. But it's God, save, spend. And I pray that my children would, would carry that with them all of their lives. Now, I know what I have just disclosed is probably not typical, as I mentioned. I don't say any of that to brag or look at me. I don't say any of that out of a sense of sort of false modesty. But while I'm at it, let me show you kind of how kind of conflicted, I think I am a bit of an odd duck when it comes to all things finances. And it's simply because of this reason. I probably am quite tight-fisted when it comes to money, and yet I want to be a generous person. Now, those two things are at odds with each other. And then second to that, I think I have a hard time spending money, but if I'm going to be totally honest with you, and I'd rather not say this, but I think I'm pretty materialistic at the same time, which is weird. So I want to buy stuff, but I don't want to spend money. I want to be generous, but my fist looks like this so often when it comes to finances. I think my father has his work cut out when it comes to me and this thing called generosity. But the truth of the matter is, 
He's been chipping away at me, and he's been helping me to learn how to become a generous person. Here's a word that I want to share with you that I believe is a catalyst for that thing that is inside of me, and I'm going to venture to say maybe inside of many of you as well. You know that drive for stuff. You know that um, I want, that lust, like I, I must have, I want to purchase that for me. And here's the word I want to share with you. It is the word awareness. Awareness. Now, track with me if you can. Uh, I'm going to give you a, a, a line from Andy Stanley. This is his line. Uh, it sounds comical. It sounds incredibly childish, but it's so true. Look at this. I've never wanted something that I didn't know existed. Now, realize that's like two-year-old logic right there. But it's so true. Like, I promise you, you've never wanted something that you didn't know was available to you, that you didn't know was for you, uh, available for you to purchase. You may want to write that down. But as soon as you found out that it existed, guess what happened? Oh, well, now I want it. Now I've seen this thing. Now I've smelled it. Now I've tasted it. Now I've touched it. Now I want it. I want to have that for me. And then my brain goes to work. And I convince myself, not only do I want it, very quickly I'm like, no, I need it. I need to have that. And then my brain goes to work a little bit more, and very quickly, here's what I come up with. I deserve this. I deserve to have this. And I work so hard, and it's not, not too much to ask. And you know what? Actually, if I get it right now, it's at a good price, and I'll pay 0% for this amount. I'm entitled. I get to have these things. And here's what I've learned. Just as awareness is a driver of discontent, Okay, is this making sense? And now I'm aware of this thing, and now I feel unfulfilled until I will have it. Just as awareness does that, I think what I'm learning is that as I become, and this is a different awareness, aware of the needs of this world or this community or a person, that awareness counteracts the other awareness. And that awareness around somebody in crisis actually is good for me. It helps me manage my discontent. As you become more aware of the needs of people around you, you will be able to rein in that desire, that drive, that lust, that quest for just stuff. Because I think that's in my heart, and I think it's in your heart too. Perhaps I am the most materialistic person in this room. I don't know. But I'm learning that a way to simply not give in to that is not to simply be aware of what I don't have, and therefore I want it, but to actually now have an awareness of other people and their needs around me. God addresses this very issue. Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your mind on things that are above. It's kind of said this twice now. Not on things that are on the earth. It's now saying the opposite three times. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I want you to have a different awareness. You see, Jesus knows about the thing that you have in your heart and in your mind right now that you want. You're like, I want that. I need that. I deserve that. Jesus knows about that. 
He knows about every one of us who wants to accumulate and chase after stuff in our minds and in our lives. And so he says to you, how about this instead? How about you change the way you're thinking? I want you to set your mind. The inference is that you can actually do this with his help. I want you to set your mind on things that are above. He knows that Christmas bells have already begun to faintly ring in your ears. And your mind is already being set to Amazon and Target and to something that you saw in some magazine and something that you need to get and that you want. And he says, how about we change your awareness? Because I don't want you bullied. And actually, that's what's happening to so many of us. We are being so cleverly manipulated and pushed around by extremely intelligent people who have come to manipulate you and promise you from marketing and advertisement a sense of absolute fulfillment and joy and happiness if you will just give them your resources and they will give you something in return. They've convinced you of how much you need, how much deserving you are, how hard you work, and how easily you can have this thing. And I think this scripture in Colossians chapter 3 is actually a loving, caring nudge to give you a different kind of awareness entirely. Jesus says, I want you to seek things that are above. I want you to set your mind on things that are above. I want you to think about this place, and it describes it, where Jesus is seated on a throne at the right hand of the Father. Think about the way things are there. That's a really powerful image. Imagine if your mind thought about that. Set your mind, set your awareness on those things that are above, not on these earthly things that are below. God, why? Why are you saying this to us? Well, because you're hidden in Christ. The Scripture literally says, because you died in Christ, and Jesus is saying, and so I want you to die to this stuff. Now, is it wrong to have stuff? No. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. What Jesus wants you to die to is an incessant desire that I have to have the stuff. That's what He wants to kind of assassinate in you. How many of you have ever owned something that worked perfectly? <laughs> You're going to be so sorry you came to church today. <laughs> I'm so sorry. How many of you have ever owned something that worked perfectly? And here's what you did. You got it and you stuck it in a drawer. And then you took your personal finances to buy pretty much the exact same thing. But it was the upgraded version of the one you had, it worked fine. It did exactly what it was supposed to do. And yet, you did not want it. And so you took your resources and you gave them away to buy something that does the exact same thing as the thing that you already had from the day that you bought it, but maybe this new one does it slightly better and slightly faster. Anyone? We've got six honest people in church today. My hand was up. God's language around this actually becomes quite graphic in the Bible, like pretty hardcore. Look at his language. Verse 5, he says, put it to death. Put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature. And then we get this list of some not-so-nice stuff, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. 
So because you've been hidden in Christ, because you have died in Christ, because you are being raised up in new life, God is saying, I want you to literally assassinate some toxic stuff in your life. And then he gives us this kind of lengthy, horrible list of nasty stuff. But did you notice that right there in the middle of this list is this desire for accumulation and ownership and things and clothes and cars and vacations and stuff and toys and gadgets. It's all the down here on earth stuff. And God says, how about you make your thinking up here? How about you get your awareness to the place where Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand? of the Father. How about you understand that the kingdom of God is not actually about you stockpiling stuff for you. What the kingdom of God is about is, imagine this, that place where Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, imagine the authority and the power of that. What, here's what the kingdom of God is about. It's about you leaning into that influence and that power and bringing that down here onto earth. That's a different way of thinking. That's a different way of living your life. Most people, it's just one thing. Wake up, I need to make money. You wake up in the morning, you hit snooze, and a few minutes later, this is what's happening. Wake up, I need to make money. How many people do you know? And honestly, as you look at their life, this is the life they're living. Wake up, I need to make money. Why do you need to make money? There's stuff I got to buy. What do you need to buy? I don't even know yet. But wake up, I need to make money. And lovingly, God says, I got a different way to you to live i got a different way for you to think. No, i got to wake up. I need to make money. Man, you are being bullied. That is not the life that I've called you to live. That is not the God life. There's a different way. Let me give you two examples of an awareness that is far greater than this down low earth stuff. If you've been around the church, you might already know this. If you're new, it's a joy for me to share this with you. I hope it encourages you. I'm going to talk to the camera right here because I want to talk to everyone in Alma. Thanks to the generosity of people in this church, and I think about Pastor Aaron and Jesse and Katie, the staff there, the volunteers, those who are serving, people who have come for the very first time, several hundred families, men and women, children, like, that lighthouse for the gospel just wouldn't exist in Alma were it not for this church. I want you to set your awareness on what that means for a community like Alma where people need to know Christ. I want you to get your thinking in on that. The second thing is we paid off $2 million worth of medical debt. And I want to read to you a letter that we received, and we've blocked out the name on purpose. Please accept our sincerest thanks and deep gratitude, as well as to God for guiding our case to your charity. My husband had no work except for a couple of days of work for a four-year period. He was in training for a truck driver job and had a gallbladder attack while on the road a thousand miles from home. Trainer truck owner had to leave him at a hospital and continue on with the delivery. With a borrowed car, I drove through the night and the next day to get him. Neither of us had medical insurance for several years. We had never used government help or charity. Our family never had either. This unpayable debt was a burden on our conscience and our credit history. We were so blessed that the lady we talked to from the collection agency submitted our debt to your charity. Now, do you remember I talked about this thing that we nicknamed the 418 initiative? That's from Luke chapter 418, where Jesus just comes right out and he says, let me tell you what's happening at the right hand of God. This power is coming from up there, down here, and here's what I've come to do. I have come to proclaim 
good news to the poor. I have come to set captives free. Well, here it is in a letter. We have finally gotten out of the dark hole of debt and gotten back on our feet again. That's the activity of the gospel in their lives. Through your generosity and my husband's new career as a fuel tank driver. And church, this part is for you. I pray that you receive it from whomever this person is. May God shower you with his blessings. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that just beautiful to read about and to hear? And I want you to know that that's because of this local church, this little place called Community Church, because of you responding to the Holy Spirit. Praise God. And God says, that's what I want your awareness to be around. That's how I want your thinking. That's the up there, bring it down here life. And that's what he's doing in me. I pray that's what he's doing in you. Taking an odd duck like me, whose fingers have been closed with this communion money, but wants to be a generous guy who doesn't want to spend money, but is actually fairly materialistic. Oh God, I think I need, to, I think I need your help on that one, please. Could you please teach me how to be a generous man? Church, advance must not be about money. This cannot be about this idea of come to church and now the church is going to reach into your pocket and take your money. I, I can't stand that stuff. I cringe at that stuff. I, I can't cope with it, to be quite honest with you. Here's what I want. I want every single one of you to simply encounter Jesus Christ when it comes to generosity. And I just want you to hear from him and respond to what he's doing. I want you to responding to the, to the word, to his presence, to his activity, his work in your spirit, just like he's begun in me and in so many other people around here. As a pastor in ministry for about 24 years now, I've had the chance to sit down with a whole bunch of people who have come into my office just stressed out up to their eyeballs, tears and problems, and it's been about finances and bills coming at them and credit cards and bad decisions. And inevitably, every single time, here's the domino. It's not just, ah, the bills. Here's the domino. It's affecting their family. It affects their children. I can't do this. Uh, that's not the kind of parent I wanted to be. And now it's affecting our marriage and we're at each other and we're fighting with each other and there's tension and conflict in the marriage. And then here's the word that it always comes. It always comes. It's the word divorce over something as fickle as money. What God brought together, this thing called money is tearing apart. It's not what God wants for you. And if you were to ask me, for I'm a tight-fisted guy, so the money that you have given into the house of God, for a lot of years for me and Kelly now as a couple, and those times that we've responded, or there was a crisis, or there was somebody in need, and we said, no, let's do that, let's give it away, let's be generous, let's not think about being generous, let's actually become a generous person. I tell you right now, I wouldn't give, I wouldn't give it up. If you wanted to say, Alan, I could give you all that money and you could have it back, I would say, no, I don't want the money because I would rather have what God has done in me and how he has transformed me. And you talk about a marriage that goes towards divorce. I would rather have the influence that that has had on my children and my family and my wife and me and our marriage that has been so positive and so godly. I, you can keep the money. I want that transformation any day of the week. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish in your life. And I want to ask you, don't miss a week. Be a part of this. God is at work in this local church. I want Him at work in your heart in this local church.
Four things, I'm going to wrap up and pray. Number one, I want you to sense the work of God. Would you please carefully, right now, consider what God is doing in this place? I'm so glad that this is not a dormant, dead, lifeless church. God is at work, and I want you to appreciate that. I don't want you to take it for granted. I want you to look at what God is doing. I just told you two stories uh, three minutes ago, and I want you to feel it. I want you to feel the weight of that. I want you to experience it like you're touching it and tasting it and smelling it and saying, look at what God is about. I want you to sense the work of God. I want you to feel the weight of the gospel and the urgent need. This upcoming 12 months, our hope, please God, with His help, is we want to launch this 12-step Christ-centered recovery program for people who have hurts and hang-ups and habits. And I bet you there's probably very few of us here who have not either directly or indirectly seen and experienced the effects of addiction and how that devastates a life. And I want you to feel the weight of that. I want you to, as something inside of you would actually carry and say, you know what, we need to be, we need to be about doing that. I'm going to be praying for that, supporting that. I'm going to be a part of that. I'm, I'm thrilled that our church would be doing that, and I want you to taste that and experience the weight of it. Number two is your guidebook. Write your name in it because they're all identical. I want you to keep it with you. I want you to bring it back to church next week. You can keep your notes in there. And week number three, I want you to stick it on the kitchen table. I want you to leaf through it in the morning when you're eating your bowl of cornflakes. I want you to read every word on every page. I want you to know all about what God is doing in this place. Number three is the commitment card. In your guidebooks right now, you can flick to page 18 and you'll see it right there. I simply want to make you aware of it. Next week, we'll kind of explain what it looks like. In week three, we'll actually do a collection of these commitment cards and I want you to familiarize yourself with that. Uh, for those of you online, your host will stick that in the chat right now. Lastly, number four, I want you to bring this to God. Would you, at a minimum, take it seriously? Would you, at a minimum, go to your father and simply say, Okay, Lord, if you want to speak to me, I want to hear what you have to say. If you want to bring direction into my life, Lord, I want to be a part of that. And what I want to ask you to do is I want you to make a commitment to actually making a commitment. To say, Lord, I, I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to come before you. I'm going to pray. I'm going to say, Lord, what part do I have in all of this. All right, next week, we're going to open up a huge challenge. If we believe that Jesus is who He says He is, if we believe that He did for us what we could not do for ourselves, we're going to see what it looks like for our response to the urgent call of the gospel in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank You for what You're doing. It's a privilege to be a part of it. Thank You that You would use people like us, pretty flawed people, pretty tight-fisted people, or maybe even fiscally irresponsible people. And you would bring care and leadership to us, also that you would get glory and so that we would see the gospel expanded in this community. It's exciting to live the God life. Lord, would you help us to, ha to set our minds and our hearts on things that are above? The truth is, so often, they're just dragging through the mud of things that are down here on earth. Would you please help us and transform us to be more like Christ so that we'd actually become shockingly generous men and women with our lives, our time, our finances, how we work, our ideas, our investment, our contribution. 
And in this moment, help us, Lord, to put to death, to assassinate all of that salivating after stuff that ultimately, it just fades away. I pray, God, that we would simply respond well to how you speak and lead and nudge and care for us. I pray this in the name of Jesus and the whole church together said, Amen.